0: Grateful for the worship team and just the, the awesome work that they, they put into just seeking the Lord's face and uniting together and drawing us to worship. I just really uh, uh, ministered uh, to by, by their ministry to us. So it happened. I've had two big moments this week that were kind of firsts for me, honestly. Um, one, was my first entry point into Friday Night Lights, right? So high school football in sort of the Texas, Oklahoma region, a bit different than rural Silver City, New Mexico that I've ever experienced. And so kind of an institution, honestly. So that was big point number one. And point number two is it was actually my my first time over the border into Oklahoma. I wasn't sure if I needed a passport or not, but I think I was able to to make my way there and, and get to to the nation, I guess, as some, some some call it. Yeah, I get my first amen from my, my Oklahoma buddy here in the church. Um, but so it was really an interesting uh, a, a event. Yeah, an interesting experience, really. So you're, you're there, there. There's a uh, a, a whole fan base, and so I went because they were building this huge new stadium at, at Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was, a, it was, I mean, literally, it was like a, it felt like a, just an enormous stadium for high school football, but nonetheless, I went there, and, and it, there, the sign was very clear, right? Entry for home team only, right? So uh, that's not me, but I got no idea where I'm going. So sure enough, I make my way up to the The security desk there and the tickets and I'm like you know I'm I'm, I'm supposed to enter on the visitor side but I got no idea how to get there and they're like oh it's okay it's a bit of a long walk (laughs) they won't let me go through the home side so I gotta walk around the entire stadium down the road and back into this sort of it felt like sort of a back alley construction site where apparently the visitor's ticket booth is so they really make you feel like you don't fit in and don't belong but nonetheless I get there and, uh, you know, my, my youngest daughter's getting ready to do her, her drill team stuff. They're all dressed up and uh, the, the other home team band is over on the visitor side and they're all playing and all of these things are taking place and little did I know that this would be the place where I would come to grips with an understanding of how we deal with self-examination. It was a spiritual lesson for me, and it's not because it's in Oklahoma and that's more spiritual. It's just because it was one of those insights where I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is where I begin to understand. And so here's how it it kind of uh, rolled out, sitting in the stands um, with our Lake Ridge High School football team parents. and And if you know anything about high school parents and watching their athletes play their particular sports, of which I was one, so I got to see myself in a new light this time, you tend to get a little intense about what you want to have happen on the field, and when what happens doesn't happen the way you want it to happen, you start to blame people. Normally, it's the rest. Hey, ref, you're blind. How come you're not concerned? I mean, these just loud, verbose conversations that the ref is not listening to a thing that you say, but you're certain that if you say it just a little bit louder or a little bit more intense, he'll change his mind, right? You're convinced of these things. And then when that doesn't work, where does it go next? Hey coach, why are you taking out my kid? Number 47 just made a great play. Like literally coaching from the sidelines and communicating that they know and should be the coach of the Lake Ridge High School football team. They know better than what the coach knows. And because things aren't happening the way they should be happening, it's important to make these indictments and assessments on someone else who is making failures that you think that they're making. And man, is it an exercise in sociology if there ever was one? Like you get to see what's in a person's heart when things are happening that they don't want to have happen. And you think, man, was I like that? Courtside when my daughter was playing volleyball? (laughs) Uh, yes, that was you, right? You were the loud parent that was talking and communicating that it was a bad call by the refs or whatever the case. But so you get this whole analysis of what's taking place and you get these parents that are yelling about what they need to have happen. And never in that moment are they looking at themselves and saying, man, I wonder if something's wrong in my own heart. Maybe I'm taking this a little bit too seriously, Maybe, just maybe, I'm hoping, and a lot of my hopes are in the success of my children. And I'm not going to sit there and ask them what they think is going on inside their heart. But I certainly can see it on full display. I mean, it's not on the scoreboard, but it's on display before everybody, and they're all doing it. And then when they make a great play, the dads are standing up and being like, Yeah, man, you're strong. You know, it's just it's, it's intriguing to watch. But in the process of that, I think what it does is it gives us an avenue to think about the conversation and the spiritual practice of self-reflection, self-examination, really. Here's what I mean by that. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7 this morning. So this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching about how things operate in the context of the world that he's created based on his authority. So as as God has ordered the world, here are the way things operate under God's Purview. So those who are followers of Christ and those who are disciples of Jesus, this is how functionally we are called to operate in the context of those things. This is what we think. This is how we look at life. This is how we discern the environment around us. These are the things that we do as we say to ourselves, Jesus is the one that has set the truth in place. And because of that said truth, here's how I am Operating in the world where Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, the one who's at work. He's, he's the one that's setting the standards for which I live. And it becomes an entry point for us in terms of the conversation about self-examination. And many of you have probably heard this text before, right? It's the do not judge lest you be judged. Pull the log out of your own eyes so you're not looking at the speck in others. And, and what I want to do is we we look at the framework of this text is really kind of verse by verse walk through the significant categories that Jesus is giving his followers and how he places actually very little um, boundaries on which and how this is happening. And so there's so much of a significant reality that every moment that we are in, in every situation, in every aspect of life, there is a level of us being Exposed, or at least our sinful struggles being exposed on a daily basis. The question for each of us is, do you see it? Do do we see the reality of those senses of frustration and anger that are rising up in us when we're looking at things that are happening that shouldn't be happening from the smallest things of the person who cuts us off on the road or parks really bad in a parking spot? Or... Are we looking at it in a larger context of the reasons why things are happening in, the, in relationships that we deeply care about? Why do we have fractures in the context of our families? Why are there arguments between husbands and wives and parents and children and siblings? I mean, why do those things happen? And yet the application is not just that they're happening, nor can we just point a finger in the fact that it's someone else's sin. Every moment of every experience, of every day with every person is an exposure of God using it in our life to show us our sin. Every moment of every day, with every person, in every aspect of our life, is the Holy Spirit generating us an ability to see the sin that lives inside. And we don't want to see it. So this encapsulates or encaptures the entire conversation about spiritual practices. How? Why do I say that? When we look at community, when we look at generosity, when we look at confession, when we look at fasting, we look at even if we looked at praying and reading the word, all of these things are, are, are used and leveraged by the Lord to show us in a merciful, gentle way the things that He's changing and transforming inside that there's a level of intentionality, if you even will, a surgery that's taking place inside of our hearts that's critical to move us towards intimacy with God. So this isn't about do these spiritual practices so you can be a better person, and when you're a better person, people will like you more. That's not the conversation. The conversation is that every single person here, myself included, is infested with a broken nature that chooses sin and self-righteousness over and above intimacy with God. We are self-protective by nature. We are broken by sin. We desire what we desire. We want what we want. And here's the insidious part about it. We nobilize it. We make ourselves feel better when we look at someone else's sin. And so what what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is communicating just unbelievably clearly how we can have categories to look at the situations that surround us and begin to, to, to see and examine what's going on inside of our hearts that are, are listening the responses that we have, not so that you can just be a better person and, and change your behavior, It's so that those things that create a distance and a gap in our relationship with Christ were at least made aware of, and then we're trusting Christ's strength to free us from. So this is really, at the end of the day, about intimacy with God and how God is mercifully and surgically and tactically cutting things away in our lives to lead us deeper into a relationship with him. So if you're ready, um, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you're not ready, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, just so you know. Here he goes as he continues on his conversation on the greatest sermon ever preached. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck... That is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you well this is an exciting verse right i mean it's not though this sort of elicit sort of these all of these kumbaya loving comforting feelings i mean this is this is a hardcore truth that jesus is moving his followers into and and i would say that probably this is one of the most misapplied texts in all of scripture right because what we do is we start with the first verse and say well Don't judge, lest you be judged. And that's not really the point of this text, right? The point of what Jesus is getting at for his followers is to communicate with just utter surgical and tactical precision is that we have a tendency to be judgmental. We have an ability to see someone else's sin and we evaluate that sin with a greater degree and consistency than we evaluate our own. We get angry at the injustice done to us, and yet we have a hard time in examining in our own hearts the injustice that we've done to others or the sin that infests our heart. And so it's not saying that within the context of the Christian community, we're not called to judge one another, because that's not what he's saying at all, right? He tells us even towards the end of the text, he said, you hypocrite, here's what you do first, deal with your own sin. And then let's walk through the context and conversation about dealing with the sin. And your brother's like, God is in the business of dealing with sin. Right? I.e. the cross. There's a significant reality of what Jesus is moving his followers to, is that sin isn't something that we're called to minimize. This isn't a conversation about watering down truth. It's not saying, just be tolerant and be kind and everything's going to be okay. He's saying, we have to be relentless and consistent with how we address the sin that lives inside. I'm reading this book right now, or I should say uh, Audible, so I'm downloading, I'm listening to it. It's a book called Kite Runner. Anybody read it? Khalid Husseini. Incredible book. Like, I'm not quite finished yet, so don't spoil it for me, because I'm, I'm right at this crux, right? But it's a story of a, uh, of a young man growing up in Kabul, Afghanistan, and uh, in the early 70s, when the monarchy was there, prior to Russia coming in and doing these things, and then even prior to the Taliban taking over, he has this, this friend, and they, they just talk about all of these things where they're doing life together, and, and all of these joys and the social system that exists, and, and the friendship that really uh, tends to be a significant component of, of his life in the early parts of his story. And there's a dream that the author has, and the dream is this. He is finding himself and his best friend in a a big... There's a big lake. And everybody's standing around this lake. And what they're saying is, you can't swim. Don't, Don't jump into the lake. Because a monster lies underneath the waters. So you should resist jumping into the water. Because if you do, you'll be eaten. Your life will be taken by this monster. Him and his friend decide to throw caution to the wind and jump in and swim. They swim to the middle of the lake in this dream, and his friend continues to tell him over and over again, there's no monster in the lake. There's no monster in the lake. They swim, and they call themselves the, the sultans of Kabul, right? Just like what kids do. They're just excited about tackling all of the things in their life. A few years later, life had entered in and things had transpired and a lot of regrets and sin I don't want to spoil the book for you there's a lot of different weight that the author feels in his life and a lot of really bad decisions and sad moments that had occurred and he's very well aware of his bad decisions he revisits that dream in the context of the book as he's talking about the dream that he had and his friend continues to tell him There's no monster in the lake. He comes to just this stark realization that just struck me. The author says, there is a monster in the lake, and it's me. And I think that that's the context of how we deal with self-examination. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way. Get a friend to tell you your faults, or better still, welcome an enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be to a wise man, and what an intolerable nuisance to a fool. (laughs) Ha! That's a good one, right? I mean, you're just like, are you serious? Thomas Akempis said it this way, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. So here's where we stand. We're talking about this system that Jesus has set in place and a a way in which we think about practicing examination. How do our hearts and how do we evaluate even the thoughts and motives that exist inside? And so far with two people that are are, are spiritual individuals that that love Christ have found themselves saying, well, you know what? We're terrible at (laughs) self-examination. We're terrible at it. That part of the reason God has given us one another is that there's a reality that you and I are walking blind. We don't see what we don't see, and we don't know what we don't know, and we actually don't want to know what we don't know. Because we're afraid that what's inside is something that we don't want to address and deal with. And because of that, we end up just remaining hidden and closing ourselves off. And God gives us relationships to help us walk through the reality of what exists inside. And so when he talks about taking the log out of your own eyes so that you can see the speck clearly in your brothers, what he's talking about is putting on accurate biblical scriptural lenses to see clearly the infestation of sin in our own hearts and the hearts of those we love. Because sin does what? It kills every time. Sin always does damage. Sin, you cannot make a friend. You can't nurture or manage it. Sin must be killed. And the only way that that happens is through the strength of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That he's the one that has freed us from the power of sin. And so we need to be aware of how that power resonates in our lives and how God uses those things to free us from those areas of our life. So let me give you a couple observations from this text that I think are critical. Our critical nature in which we view others highlights our own personal struggles. Our critical nature in which we look at other people is actually a window into our own personal sin struggles. (laughs) Did you hear that? Why are you angry when someone cuts you off on the road? Feel unseen? Feel like someone's what? Selfish? Just doesn't care about anybody else around them? doesn't give a rip about what's going on in the world and just wants to get where they're going faster. You and I make assessments of the motives of others every day, all day long. And you know what? We're likely wrong. Not all the time. We could be 100% right. But that's not the point. The point is, is that we're mad that someone's taking advantage of what we would never do. And so here's what happens. We actually in order to criticize others, we have to rise up in our value and diminish theirs. We have to see ourselves as more significant, more right, more accurate, more thoughtful, and ultimately, end of the day, a better person than them. Because we would never do anything like that. Really? (laughs) Sure we would. Right, that's the point, is the basis for this conversation Is that there is no sin that exists in this world that you and I aren't capable of committing? None. It's just the circumstances that elicit the sin, right? That there are reasons in which we would, we're master self justifiers. Paul Tripp calls it activating your inner lawyer. (laughs) I love that because it's so true we see ourselves in this world and what we would end up doing, what I end up doing, is I'll look at someone else and the decisions they make and I don't know their backstory. I don't know what's motivating. Self-righteous people that don't care about me, about you, and they could be incredibly wrong or totally right. But the only way to see clearly is to deal first with the log in our own eye. We're blind to our own sin. And so the reason why God provides for us Time and time again opportunity after opportunity to realize and expose these areas of sin so that we can see clearly is to help us come to the indication that we are dependent people who are just in desperate need of Christ and without his mercy without his grace we don't have hope and the entire world around us is in that same position right Spurgeon get a friend to tell you you're false I wonder if I put it this way Get a spouse <laughs> to tell you you're false. Yeah, boy, let's start pointing fingers here, baby. Right? Get a, get a kid. Get your kid to tell you you're false. Get a boss to tell you you're false. Better still, welcome an enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be to a wise man. What an intolerable nuisance to a fool. <laughs> How prepared are we to see the depth of which sin lives inside. We're terrible self-evaluators. We criticize out of a place of feeling that we're doing right what others are doing wrong, right? We just feel better about ourselves at times if we're honest and look inside that when somebody is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, it's easier us to feel like, well, that's not me. I'm better. (laughs) I, I have things more together than them. We've never really asked ourselves if the guy cutting himself on the street is on his way to the hospital because his parents are dying in an emergency room. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But we've made an assessment that their sin has intruded and inconveniently caused us challenges in our life, and we don't want to deal with them. Self-examination is a critical practice where we think about every time we have an emotion— a feeling, a negative thought, an area of anger, a besetting sin. We look at it for what it is, something that kills. Seeing ourselves accurately involves every single person we encounter every single day. God is relentless in drawing us to himself. And there are gaps in our walk with the Lord. There are things that need and are being changed in every single one of us. We have areas in our heart that we have placed boundaries and limitations on. And we just don't want to have to deal with the fact that there's a level of boredom or distraction or anger or frustration or deceit or dishonesty or whatever. And we would rather look at them than look at ourselves. I think that that's the reality that Khalid Husseini came to when he Walk through a lot of the regrets that he experienced in his life. There's not a monster in the lake. Well, there is. It's me. So so why? <laughs> I mean, literally, I think that's the question is why engage in the process of self examination? Because what we realize is that the freedom that the gospel offers us from the sin that lives inside is found in total and complete dependency upon Christ. You've been loved. You are accepted. You are valued amongst all creation. As the creator God of the universe loved you so much, he provided an avenue for you to have intimacy with him, that he has broken the pangs of death, that he has freed you from the chains of sin, that he has not just adopted you into his family and positionally put you in relationship with him, but the power of sin has been broken And he's leading and desiring to draw us to himself in an intimate relationship where you experience the best of what God has for you in that relationship. Not trying to figure it out yourself, not trying to operate and manage the world around you, but to literally know that through a relationship and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are experiencing what God has for you. And what is that? More of himself. So in order for more of Jesus to be more present in more aspects of our lives, sin has to be pushed out. We can't serve two masters. (laughs) We can't have Jesus on one side and our management of our sin on the other. God has already won victory over sin, but he's going to be regularly pushing against those things. And so when he tells us that there's, what we want to do is, is that we're, we're not coming from a place of, of a judgmental attitude with reference to other people's sin, but what we're doing is we're looking at sin and its severity universally across the board. From the speck that seems small in our brother's eye to the log in our own, across the board, sin kills and Jesus provides freedom. So, so he wants us to see sin c- clearly. And in the context of those things to deal with it consistently, <laughs> including our own. So he, here's how I think he finishes up. Self-examination is a community project, and this is borrowed from Paul David Tripp. And and here's what, what what Paul David Tripp says, and I think it's it's it resonates along with what Spurgeon was saying is that in the context of our own community and faith and life together, we're realizing that as we're engaging in the spiritual practice of self-examination. We are really terrible at doing that because here's what we'll parse out. Here's what you will choose and I will choose to deal with the sins that are palatable and easier to address. We'll start with easy stuff and never get to the reality of how our bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and anger have, have levied itself and, and taken up residence in our life and that it's affected every relationship that we are, hair triggers with our families and our spouses. That we're, we're just irritated all the time. That our brothers and sisters in Christ who love us, we can look at someone who is just a few chairs away and be like, I do not like that person. I don't want anything to do with them. They've hurt or offended me, and the fact that we have to be in a room for an hour and a half is all that I can handle. That's not about them. It's about you. It's about me. It's about seeing as we're giving a voice to those areas of frustration and anger in our life that we're seeing them for what they really are. That is not from the Lord. It's from our own selfish flesh who wants what it wants, when it wants, how it wants. And we nobilize it to think that somehow in some way I'm just a bit more righteous. You see how the dangerous path that we're on? Because the only option For us in following Christ is to lay ourselves bare before the tender surgeon of the universe and allow him to cut. To say, I know that there are things in my life that you need to cut away, and sometimes I even know what they are. And then often there are places where the Holy Spirit is cutting that I am totally unaware of. I didn't know that was there, I didn't really realize the monster was me. What a merciful moment in the hands of a tender God who has already taken care of sin. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reason for self-examination is not for self-condemnation, but for freedom that the Lord has offered us in Christ. It's not so that you feel bad about yourself. It's not so that I feel worse in who I am. It's so that I depend more fully on the grace of Jesus and allows me to see others through the lenses of the gospel, not their sin. Because that's how I want to be seen. I want to be seen through the lenses of the forgiveness and mercy that I've been afforded that I don't deserve. And yet often, I'll see the sin of others first before I'll see the work of the gospel in their lives. You have to hear what you don't want to hear to see and not activate your inner lawyer, diminishing the truth, of what's being said? I think the Bible calls us in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six, to be a, a bit more honest—not just with ourselves and with others, but really about what God is allowing to happen around us. The frustration, the anger, the misplaced hope, the, the just the general tenor of our lives ultimately comes down to often just wanting things to be the way that we want them rather than trusting the sovereign providence of God to work out all things for his glory and our good, right? And it's not hard to look at a society that seems to be crumbling and asking ourselves, where is God? What is he doing? And and I'll give you an answer right now, at least in part, and it's not the full story, but I will tell you what he's doing. He's cutting away in the church of Jesus Christ, misplaced hope. We've thought and seen and desire other things more than Jesus. And we need to see that and be freed from it. Self examination is a community project. We need one another in this process. But we need to be willing to admit that we have needs and that we have sin and that Christ is the author and freer of those sins. More of him, less of us. The prayer of John the Baptist, right? Remember that? He must increase. And in order for that to happen, what has to happen to me? I got to decrease. A big God in big ways changes our small lives in such a way that he gets glory and honor from the work that's being done. So let's depend on him. As followers of Christ, allow God to do what only God can do and be open to the fact that we have to admit that we need change. Let's pray.